Truth Espresso, episode 203. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, Truth Espresso followers, fans, family, friends, foes, and lurkers alike. <laughs> Sorry, you lurkers, you you don't start with the letter F, but thank you for listening anyway to another episode of Truth Espresso. We are coming at you with another episode in our series on slander. This one, continuing from the last episode to talk about parenting how we should treat our children and not treat our children. And so last week we talked about reasons that parents might find themselves tearing down their children. But this episode we're going to talk about four ways that we tear down our children. And I am joined once again by my sweet, beautiful co-host and wife, Chelsea. So sweetheart, thank you once again for talking with me on another episode of Truth Espresso. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me be a part of the series. This has been really convicting. (laughs) (laughs) Challenging. Yeah. (laughs) Encouraging. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's been a good study. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for all your help in putting some of this information together for this series, sweetheart. We're going to talk about four ways that we tear down our children. And these four ways all start with the letter C. And so that can help with remembering. And alliteration is is pretty cool, too. So So do you want to start us off with the first way that we can tear down our children? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the number one, well, not number one is in most important. The first one, the first way that we could find ourselves tearing down our children is cold. So (laughs) we can find ourselves being cold toward our children or emotionally unavailable. So basically it's kind of a form of ignorance. Um, You know, you don't care about your children. You can just think they're an inconvenience at the moment, wish they just weren't there, don't bother me, or so like seeing that your children are maybe struggling with something, maybe cranky, maybe they demonstrate they want to play with you, they just need something from you as a parent, but you know, you're just going to be kind of cold toward them, just ignore them, just probably not smiling at them, not interacting with them as much, so tearing down your children even when you're just not available in the way that children need parents to be available for, that's a way to tear them down without necessarily being expressed through words. Yeah, I think that this can be manifested in different ways. So I was thinking when you were kind of giving that example that some parents are just kind of checked out, like they're not invested in their children or in their family and 
thinking of the example of the dad that just comes home from work. He hasn't seen his kids all day. He plops on the couch or chair, turns the TV on and watches a sports game. And his kids come over and they're like, dad, play with us. He's like, no, you're being too loud. I need to watch this show and see what the score is and Mm. ignores, pushes his children away. And eventually those kids are going to not come and approach him anymore because all they're receiving is that cold response, that response of my game or Mm. this time is more important than you. Mm. And that just shuts our children down. And I mean, like you said, babe, that a lot of times this isn't something that we vocalize. We don't tell our children, like, I'm going to ignore you. But it's our actions and even more so what we're not doing. This is like one of those kind of more passive things. Yeah. You know, it can be demonstrated even through face expressions, just like lack of smiling. Just any way where, yeah, as we said, that it's where children might not feel comfortable you know, as you said they they're trying to approach their parents with something but they don't feel like it's safe to do so because they're not appreciated they're always feeling like they're a nuisance or they never know when their parents are available so it's kind of like maybe walking on eggshells or you know trying to figure out how to break the ice or whatever kind of um metaphor i could think of for that but <laughs> So parents, you know, you need to make sure that like you can't just act according to your impulses and feelings. So, yeah, there could be times as parents where you really do not want to be interrupted. You know, you're busy with something. It could be important or even not really important. Like you said, a a sports game. That's I know. I know some people might be like really into sports. That's like a very religiously important thing. So don't interrupt dad or whatever when he's watching his football game and then whatever the needs of the children might be while the game's going on it's like lift up the hand to kind of say away from me at the moment or you know just not now daddy's watching the game children need to know that they're appreciated and that it doesn't matter how trivial you think their needs might be because to them it's important and you know it's a teachable moment to help dedicate the time to them and I don't mean with a reluctant or raunchy attitude or cold attitude you know It might be difficult, but you don't express it. You've got to smile. You've got to be tender. You can't be cold. You need to be warm-hearted towards your children. And a little bit more on different ways that we can express being cold towards our children is not showing affection or even not affirming our children. I think Mm. you kind of touched on that a little bit too there, sweetie, that It's so important for our children, especially in their emotional development, in their ability to feel secure. Yes. (laughs) It's so important that we hug our children, Mm -hmm. that we actually get down on the floor and interact with them. Yes. And we tell them, we verbally tell them, I love you. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I'm your mom. I'm so glad I'm your dad. You know, whatever the case is. And we can't just think that, oh, they know I love them. They don't. You have to verbalize that to them. Mm -hmm. And I know 
just from different family members growing up that went through that where their family did not express any type of Mm. emotion or they wouldn't say I love you. They wouldn't give any hugs or anything like that. And it was just a cold Mm. way of living in that family. And that affects them into their adulthood. And it's just sad, like being a parent, like, oh, I can never hug my kids enough. Like, yeah. But that's my personality. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a tragedy when some people have to feel like it's icy cold in the room when they're around their parents or their children or whatever, you know, as adults. Yeah, there should be this tender bond. And yeah, that takes work, you know. (laughs) Even if it's uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, exactly. You still have to do it. (laughs) Yeah. And so... With each of our points, we try to get some Bible verses kind of to line up with the points. So a good verse, possibly with being cold towards your children or emotionally unavailable was the example. And I think we mentioned this last episode when little children are coming to Jesus and the disciples were trying to turn them away. But Jesus scolded them for that and said, let the children come to me. So Matthew 18.10, Jesus says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So Jesus is telling the disciples, Be careful not to treat little children coldly like this. Don't despise them. Don't be cold toward them because God has angels in heaven that basically represent, I know some scholars or Christians might read this and have this idea of guardian angels, but whatever the case, there are angels that know about us in particular and possibly are assigned to each one of us. And so as children, even as little children, they have angels that are specifically focused on them. And these angels have a special place before God the Father that they're in his presence. So there's the idiom of seeing the face of the king, like Esther walks into the court of the king, you know, it's in a privileged position to behold the king's face. And so these angels are ever before the face of the father. And I can just picture Jesus looking at the corner of his eye at his disciples while telling them, this is how important this is. You've got to hear this. These children, their angels are ever before the Father, the throne of heaven. So for you to treat these children coldly, like, watch your step. Yeah, I like that verse and I like how it just emphasizes just how Jesus even just demonstrated how much children are valued. And a lot of our parents or grandparents, they kind of grew up in that era where it was like children should be seen and not heard. Yeah, And I think, okay, but this example with Jesus, he's like, (laughs) no, stop pushing them away. Come here and kind of my pet peeve with church <laughs> nowadays too i'm like i grew up in a church where children like sat in the service it was the mm. family style church and you just grew up like mm. listening to the scriptures being read and singing and i just think that it was something really unique mm. that it was like okay we're not going to send the children away because they might make a little bit of noise or wiggle around. Yeah. It's like we <laughs> see these children, we value them, we want them to 
hear God's word spoken, of course, they're not going to understand it to the extent that an adult would, but they're still hearing truth, even at that young age. It just kind of emphasized this passage. (laughs) Yeah. Some parents might come to church and it's like a time where, hey, I get to fellowship with, you know, some of my adult friends and, okay, bring my children to church and immediately, okay, I've got to put the nursery, got to put them in the children's church or put them with their friends or whatever so that they're out of my hair for an hour or so. And I get to fellowship with my adult friends. Like church should be a family thing and you should cherish having your children with you and talking with your children in church and not be cold toward them. Yeah. So I think that verse helps us kind of transition to our next C word. So our next way that we can tear down our children is that we can be critical. This one is pretty easy to do. Yeah. We can be critical of our children very easily. And it's just one word even. Mm. And unfortunately, that results in our children having low self-esteem or they feel like they can never say or do anything again because they don't want to experience that critical side of mom or dad again. And so definitely, it's another way of just shutting down our child. And this is something that we have to definitely be aware of and try to avoid. <laughs> yeah, because we always have to keep into perspective the role of children in the family and in society and how we're raising the next generation. And children have to learn and they have to mature. And so, yes, children are going to make plenty of mistakes. They're going to act in immature ways and raising children. We have to think of it as teaching, instructing. When they do things wrong, we have to look at it in a way where, okay, how do I teach them that this was wrong? Here are the results of it, or this is where it might lead to, and how we remember not to do that again. And different ages, as they grow older, there's different ways that we handle that but one way not to handle that at any stage is criticizing them for their actions cutting them down or saying how could you do that one of those phrases that those statements expressions that just don't communicate any constructive information you know all it does is put someone down it all it does is tear them down it doesn't help them learn it doesn't help them to realize there was a mistake now this is a learning experience i know we can do better next time And unfortunately, children are so affected by our negative words, they're going to hold on to the negative words longer and deeper than they do positive words. And just thinking that, okay, when we're critical of our children, that's going to impact them to such a deep level that it will take a while to help them kind of heal from that. It just makes me sad to think about like, okay, how have I been critical towards my children and, you know, have hurt them in that way? I mean, a lot of times it's in ways that we're not aware of either. And, you know, like we try and talk with our children about that too. We've mentioned before, like, okay, if you feel hurt or sad or that something was done wrong, please come and talk to us because that is what helps us learn that we can do things differently. But I was thinking an example of being critical, and I want to hear your thoughts on this too, babe. 
So I'm trying to think through. (laughs) There's some parents that want to have like every little thing just be perfect with their child. So like criticizing how they hold their pencil, how they eat, how they sit, how they do all these different things at a very young age even to the point of, okay, if you wiggle when you're sitting down and you're supposed to be listening to a sermon, you get a slap on the hand or something. To me, that doesn't seem like a biblical approach to training your children. Like recognizing that training is kind of a progressive thing. You can't expect them to be perfect angels right from the start. There has to be some allowance for them being children, (laughs) you know, as they're growing up while still having boundaries to help them know how far they could go at any given age. So I guess I'm trying to ask too, like, okay, at what point are we being nitpicky Mm. about things? Okay, does it really matter how you hold the pencil? (laughs) If you're trying your best, you're writing, your writing is legible, does that in the long run really matter? Or are we just trying to be nitpicky about something, (laughs) you know, like, or they're helping fold the laundry and they fold the socks like different than I would. Am I going to criticize how they fold the socks? Like, no, they're learning. And, but it seems like it's easy to often fall into that nitpicky side of things like, Mm. okay, you need to do this and fix this. And you did that wrong. And all that negativity without any Mm. affirmation of, wow, thank you. You folded all those clothes yourself. Like (laughs) that's a huge thing for a young kid. (laughs) Yeah. Just trying to think of that positive side because then do you think they'll be more willing to fold laundry again if you're saying like, wow, you did that basket, you folded it all, thank you. Or if you're like, oh, you didn't fold that right, you need to do this again. Yeah, so the example of like folding laundry and stuff like okay, so your child wants to help out and they fold it all wrong where you know that I have to go through, unfold it, refold everything. It's going to take a while. That's not when you criticize your child. What you should do is to praise them for trying to be helpful. You can't have expectations of your children as if they were your peers. So just because the result is not to your liking doesn't mean, you know, you criticize them. It's like, what were they intending to do? As you mentioned, sweetheart, that were they trying their best? Were they trying to be helpful? Yes. Have realistic expectations for children and realize that they learn and mature and grow with our help. And yeah, so praise them where praise is due. even if it requires more work on our part and stuff like that. (laughs) Just like with the previous point about being cold and this one with being critical, so with all the points, as children are learning and maturing, they're going to remember the way parents treat their children really burns into their minds as they grow up. So when they're adults, they're going to remember a lot of the negativity Think of parents who are mostly cold through most of the child's growing up. Those few moments where the parent was actually a little bit fun and stuff, children will cherish those. But then what's burned into them is like, why couldn't they be like that all the time? You know, same with being critical. If you have unmitigated criticisms or just frequent criticisms, 
the children are going to remember that into adulthood. And so, yeah, it's important that if we find ourselves slipping up, saying things critically to apologize and be tender and stuff like that, that will help cancel out things being burned into their memory because they remember how we handle things, not how we would be like mean and critical. (laughs) Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from MRM.org. So I just thought of a possible way to differentiate between being critical and helping to train your child. Okay. So let's see what you think of this. Okay. So I'm thinking that this might be helpful if we think that we should never criticize their character, like who they are. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So never being critical about like you're slow or you're fat or you're dumb. You're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's biting criticism there where if parents say things to their children that kind of indicates that they're unintelligent. They lack necessary intelligence because then they'll have that insecurity when they're adults and they'll do things to try to mitigate that that will lead into more troubles. And so we always want to be positive, even in moments where, yeah, they do things wrong. We got to turn into a positive encouragement for, you know, let's try again another time and we'll get it. And this is a learning experience. So if we say we never criticize their character, yeah, but we always help or point out when there's a sin problem, I guess. Mm-hmm. So if they're being disobedient, like one of our kids did not want to put her pants on today. And she kept <laughs> saying, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> And not criticizing, like, you're being a brat. That would be criticizing her character versus saying, now we don't tell mommy no, we need to obey and put your pants on nice. Like addressing that Mm. sin behavior. And focusing on, here's what should be done, and this is why, and this is why it's a good thing to do that. Like, criticism is kind of an unmitigated negative. So it's kind of just, okay, here's the negative, and there's no, like, thinking about the positive of doing right. Like, as you said, you're a brat, or you're dumb, or things like that. And it's like, okay, what can I do right? And we have a Bible verse here, too, that kind of helps with learning to not be critical of our children. In First Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And I know we've brought this verse up a few times, too, yeah. but just that importance, again, of we're supposed to be building each other up and that creates a comforting relationship, a place where your kids feel comfortable to be around you. They feel comfortable to talk to you. They know that you're there for them. They know that you see them and you care for them. And these other ways of being cold or being critical, that's pushing our children away and they're not going to be comfortable to come to us. And to me, it's like, oh, this is so important for us to try and learn how to do this with our children because when they're young, 
we need to start this. As they get older and they have bigger problems or things like fears or they're being bullied at school or something, they need to feel comfortable to come to you as a parent and tell you what's going on. And so I just think that both of our desire with our children is to try and just be there for them and let them know that they can come to us at any time with anything and that it takes work, like we keep saying. (laughs) This doesn't just happen. Yeah, exactly. Because we want to say, you know, if you're listening to this and hearing us talk about things like, yes, We'll repeat this. This is challenging to us. This is something that we always have to be thinking about. If you think of Proverbs, where it talks about binding the law you know, around your neck, you have to keep reminding yourselves to do the right thing. Because what we're talking about here, it's much easier to do these things. It's much easier to be cold and critical and everything else than to say and do the right thing. So that's why it takes work. It's it's a lot more effort to do the right thing than to just follow our fallen nature and do the wrong thing. So, uh, number one was cold, number two was critical, and now number three, way that we can tear down our children is to be condescending. So, this might sound a little bit like being critical, but I like to think of it where we say things or do things that kind of make parents look super tall and children look super small. <laughs> you know, Like you're always talking down to your children in a way that you're lofty and up there and unapproachable and your children are down and can never approach your level and things like sarcasm or trivializing their experiences. So using the word actually can be a subtle way of being condescending or putting down, like saying to your children, hey, that's actually a great idea. Like it could be a subtle way of saying, wow, you did something smart and I never would have expected that from you. So that's like a passive aggressive example of being condescending, but saying things like you always do this or you never, why can't you, whatever. And then there's also nonverbal ways to be condescending, which it's important for parents to realize that you need to connect with your children on an eye level. And so no standing up, crossing your arms and looking down at your toddler, which I had to learn this as a parent because I know maybe a lot of adults when I grew up didn't know this principle. But when you talk to your children when they're still little, get down on your knees and try to be at their eye level and talk to them embrace them a little when you're talking to them so bring your voice down lower and tender and being on your knees or sitting down or whatever so that you're more eye level with them and so you don't appear threatening to them this is a kind of a literal way of avoiding being condescending so being condescending to your children would be looking down your nose lofty standing up crossing your arms and glaring down at them like a king glaring down at his subjects. So to avoid condescension by when you're talking to them, get down on your knees or sit, be eye level with them. Because I think even just doing that action 
being in that physical position, being able to look at your children at eye level can also help tone down your condescension in your words and help you to speak more tenderly toward them. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I just loved how you described that because, yes, that's so true to really be able to connect with our children, especially when they are younger. And there's a different response that you get from your child when you are able to make that eye to eye connection. And that helps them focus on you, that helps them hear better, that helps them know that you see them and you care about them. Versus that overpowering. Mm. And when you're up higher, you have to talk louder. So that's going to be scarier for them as well. And so that's really important. I'm glad that you (laughs) brought that point up. I was also thinking too, kind of along with the trivializing experiences is a way of condescending. And I think that can be a difficult thing to not do because we have naturally lived longer than our kids. And so sometimes when they're like, oh, my knee hurts so bad, (laughs) you're comparing their hurts (laughs) with hurts that you've experienced, then we're going to be condescending and trivialize that their knee hurts because we're like, oh, have you ever given birth to a baby? (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever broken your foot? (laughs) Yeah, it could be very easy to think if they're like complaining so much about something that you can easily brush off your like you want to reflexively say like that's nothing you know just rub it off that's nothing like this <laughs> yeah so just acknowledging that they have this concern or they have mm. this hurt or <laughs> yeah they bonked their knee and just like affirming it not that you have to baby them and yeah. tailored to them the rest of the day because they bonked mm. their knee a little bit But we also want to acknowledge that they're expressing their feelings. We want to affirm that and not brush that off because, again, that's kind of laying that foundation of saying, okay, I see you, I hear you, Mm. I value what you're telling me, and hopefully that will carry on through their growing and maturing years. Yeah, definitely. So you're kind of like Snow White whistle while you work. There's ways to help them through like a frustration or pain by helping them make, you can make somewhat light of it by joking or encouraging or whatever, making something fun so they can laugh and then they don't feel the hurt anymore, (laughs) you know, whatever. So, we have a few verses for talking about condescending or avoiding them. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.12 says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. And so, yes, we don't want the lips of a fool to swallow ourselves up in condescension. So one indicator that you're a wise person, one indicator that you're a wise parent is that your mouth is gracious. Your words aren't gracious if they're condescending. Another verse I have, it seems like it'd be kind of just shocking or whatever, but for this point here, but Matthew 5.22, like the end of the verse, 
the point I'm going to make is not like literally what it's talking about. Jesus is telling his disciples about not to treat your brother with anger. You know, if you're angry with your brother, you'll be in judgment if you call him Raka or whatever. But then Jesus says, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. And there's kind of a legal system in Israel, punishments for things like the council would judge and things that would kind of be equivalent to murder, but with your words. And so Jesus is putting an importance here on calling someone a fool, like basically almost declaring that their life is over, it has no meaning. You've basically lied about someone in a way where it's like, okay, your life at this moment, you know, you're just a fool. Like that was considered very dreadful, like inflicting a punishment on someone at this time. And so it was considered like a crime. And Jesus is saying, you know, if you say to someone, you fool, there's the the Valley of Hinnom there, which became an illustration of eternal fire, Gehenna and stuff like that, where things that were condemned to die, you know, would be thrown into the Valley of Hinnom there where there was idolatry, idols were burned up and so on. So basically, you know, if you say, call someone a fool, you're deserving of being thrown into the dreadful place where they'd burn up trash, idols, and they'd have to keep the fire there for purification and stuff like that. But the verse is to demonstrate just how important it is not to treat your children or call them fools or be condescending to them because your words are very important. And then finally, another verse that I have to avoid being condescending is Romans 14, verse 19, where the Apostle Paul says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify one another. So we have edifying there, and things which make for peace would be things that you see each other on eye level, and condescending is not edifying. And so you want, as a parent, to be peaceable with your children. Edify them with your words. Edifying will cancel out condescension. So I was thinking that our trivia question <laughs> oh, this week. Oh, the trivia. <laughs> <laughs> yep, here it comes. <laughs> it just seems like it might fit with the condescending section here. Because I was thinking that sometimes when we're condescending to our children that it's a part of pride on our mm. part as a parents that, oh, we're older, we're wiser, we've lived longer, like we know more. So it's kind of this prideful thing, maybe a powerful thing. We kind of talked about that last week about reasons why mm. we may tear down our children. And so just thinking on that side of it and kind of if we have that heart or those thoughts towards our children, then we're going to be condescending towards them. And I just think that there's so much that our children teach us that I'm always like, yeah. <laughs> wow, but I love it because there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about being like little children, like have faith of a child. <laughs> yeah. Like let humble the... yourselves and become as a little child is what Jesus said. So we could learn humility and trust faith from a child. Yeah. So you were ready for the trivia question from that? <laughs> Bring it on. Okay. <laughs> Do you know who the youngest king was in the Bible? 
Okay, I might get this wrong, but I know there were two kings. One of them was Josiah and one of them was Joash um, that I remember were young when they started. I think Josiah was eight. And I'm trying to remember if Joash was younger or not, but okay. Was he, let's see, was he seven or me? Okay. (laughs) Oh, yay. I finally got a trivia completely correct. (laughs) Okay. So for some reason, I really thought I always heard that Josiah was the youngest king. (laughs) Yeah. So I was looking that up. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know why that stuck in my head so much, but. Yeah, good job. So Joash was seven years old, and he was the eighth king of Judah and reigned for 40 years. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's a long time to reign for being so young. Yeah. (laughs) So sometimes, I don't know, I just think that, not that we have to swap places with our kids or (laughs) like put them on a pedestal type of thing, but... Just, again, like, understand that our children do have a lot of information, knowledge. They have curiosity. That faith of a child is something that I learn a lot from with our kids. It's like, wow, they just have so much faith in God sometimes. And I'm like, oh, I need to have more faith. And so I think it's just, like, such a unique way that you can view your children that way, not as this prideful, powerful, condescending way, but as, oh, wow, I'm so thankful and so blessed that I get to be a parent and I can learn from my children too. And hopefully they are learning from us as well. Definitely, sweetheart. It's interesting to think of seven-year-old or eight-year-old king. Now, I'm sure he had plenty of advisors and he would probably make the final decision after the adult advisors would give him all the options and explain the to the best of their ability. <laughs> but, wow, yeah, seven-year-old king. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. reigned for 40 oh, years. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good. Yeah. I speak to parents all the time who come up to me and they see what's happening, but they don't know what to do. And I just want to stand up and say, you can do this. Here is a solution. This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Hey, our last point. So point number four for ways that we tear down our children is the word controlling. Sometimes we can be controlling. And I mean, just kind of like the three previous ones, this is a way that we can tear them down in a less obvious way. I'm trying to think of the best way to explain that. (laughs) You can do it manipulatively. Oh, yeah. And that would be just a sly way of controlling your child. Or you can be controlling in a more outwardly way of through punishment or micromanaging everything. And unfortunately, when we're controlling our children so much that that inhibits their ability to learn, to grow, or even to become independent. Trying to think of examples like maybe an extremely strict diet or something like that, or very rigid hours, 
Of course, as children mature, parents can be a little more lenient on certain things. Like, okay, now you have this privilege because you've matured, you demonstrated that you can be responsible with this. So one thing that I've been trying to work on for not micromanaging because I really like organization. And so then I want my kids to be organized. But recently when we let our kids go up to their grandma and grandpa's house, it was like, okay, I really wanted to pack their bags for them. (laughs) So everything would be neat and in order and all their clothing sets together. But I mean, for our older kids, I'm like, if I keep doing the packing for them and trying to micromanage how neatly put together everything is, then they're never going to learn how to do that. So I was like, okay, so let's think of how many days you're going to be there. So how many socks do you need and pants and had them get the items and put them in there and I mean, our oldest even helped me make a list and he checked off everything he put in the bag and then he checked off the other side when they repacked it to come back home. And so he was actually a little more organized than I was even (laughs) with his checklist. But sometimes it's so easy for us to just want to micromanage and control everything. But then again, then that's inhibiting our child's ability to learn how to do that. Yeah. Because I could think of two possible results, like say if parents are overly controlling of their children, like from day one up until they leave the house, one way children could end up responding once they're out of that situation, yeah, would be like they're overly dependent on it. So like they could be overly dependent on their parents to continue to micromanage things so they could feel lost and insecure if they don't have that in place all the time. Another result can be, well, once the shackles are off, then the pendulum can swing and then they become overly liberated to where things that wouldn't be, say, tempting to some children who are well-balanced, well, to the overly controlled child, slight freedoms can turn into temptations to go overboard, you know. Like, say, parents are overly controlling on their children's social life or something, or, like, it's evil for a child to shake hands, you know, like, with kids of the other gender, because it's like, we got to protect them and make sure they never have any kind of temptations of anything, and so once, you know, sometimes kids are going to be overly sheltered from that kind of thing, and then once they leave the home, then... It's like, I'm free of that now. Now everything you know is up for grabs and end up like making shipwreck of their lives by going off the deep end with liberty. But <laughs> or even before they're ready to leave the house, it can cause a defiance or rebellion in a younger child where they feel like, okay, I don't want to be controlled anymore. I'm out of here. And last week we talked about some of the statistics of runaway children and mm. it's a huge problem. (laughs) If we're being either way passive and letting our child get away with everything or ignoring them, then they're going to feel like they're not even valued or they're not even wanted. They could easily leave home. If we're on the opposite side of that, where we're controlling everything, micromanaging everything, they can feel like they're suffocating and want to break free from that. So it's... (laughs) a hard place to find that balance there and making sure 
because yeah, we want to protect our children and have those boundaries. But I mean, we don't want to be overly strict like your example, (laughs) not shaking hands with the opposite gender. (laughs) And thankfully, God's word gives us a lot of good principles throughout there to kind of give us that insight. And then a lot of times I know we'll ask other parents that were like, okay, they've raised children, they've turned out really well. And then we're like, okay, how do you handle this situation? Or Mm. what did you do when this came up? And you have to utilize these different tools that God gave us to hopefully find that balance there. And I think we have some good verses that would kind of talk about the way a balance would look, Mm. because I have Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. So King Solomon says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. Now, chains is referring to decorative, like kind of like a necklace, like golden chains, like jewelry. And so the instruction of a father and mother should be such where when the children are adults, it's like they can just proudly wear it. It feels beautiful. It feels like, oh yeah, these are good principles that I learned from my parents. They are practical. I can live in my life. I can go out in public and practice these things and they feel like they're kind of part of my attire (laughs) and they make me look good in public. (laughs) I was just thinking like this verse was a perfect verse for tonight (laughs) that my mom and I were talking about this this morning that it just seems there's so many young people that are confused today And they don't understand basic right or wrong or truth and lies. They're not taught that. And I think this verse shows like how important that is that we do teach our children what is right and wrong. We teach them what is truth because that is what's going to guide them as they grow and they go out and they're on their own. And that helps with eliminating the confusion and just the moral depravity that we see today. It's just astounding like how some of these young people think. And also it's very sad because it's like, oh, you just were never taught what's right and wrong. And now they're kind of just wandering and searching for something. Yeah. I like that first. That was a good one. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Like, okay, instruction should be such that it makes sense when you're an adult and it feels good and practical and beautiful to live it out as an adult. Well, it does feel good to have that clarity and kind of that knowing of, oh, I shouldn't do that. Oh, I need to do this. (laughs) Not that vagueness. Or just unnecessary institutional rules, but practical universal rules yeah mm. <laughs> i also have first peter 5 2 through 3 the apostle peter who's an elder in the church is telling other elders in the church how to deal with those who are under them or like the flock the church but i think this applies well to the kind of roles of a parent with their children He says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So I would think that 
parents who are very controlling are parents who often are insecure because like I don't know how many parents are overly controlling or manipulating their children who are leading by example you know <laughs> like do they put this yoke around their own necks and then tell their children or is it kind of like what we mentioned in the last episode about parents who often like expect more of their children than they achieve themselves so like a shepherd goes in front feeds the flock leads the flock protects the flock but is not constraining the flock and being a lord over the flock so parents should be examples to their children the final verse I have for not being controlling over your children is Hebrews twelve eleven. So the unknown uh, writer of Hebrews there says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So as parents, we think of when our children are young, the chastening that we give them because they're needing to learn from this point and they don't understand much chastening can be difficult it's not joyous but grievous but later on it becomes something that's peaceable fruit of righteousness like oh i get it now this is why you said this to me when i was a toddler this is why you continue to say this to me and mold me in this way and so controlling your children doesn't result in a chastening that's ever peaceful and brings about peaceable fruit of righteousness. A proper balance of chastening would, yes, be grievous to younger children as they're having to learn how to behave and don't understand it yet, but as we guide our children, chasten them well-balanced without being overly controlling and without tearing them down, it will ultimately, after word yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness and so that was four ways that we can tear down our children to be cold toward them critical of them condescending toward them and controlling of them and we hope that these four points the illustrations the verses that we brought up will be helpful challenging and encouraging to you just as it's challenging and encouraging to us as we're our parents in training <laughs> and so we hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you will continue to stay tuned for more episodes of truth espresso so we look forward to you listening to the next episode of truth espresso and god bless thank you for waking up with truth espresso good morning and god bless your day hey friends daniel minnick here again if you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.